Do you remember where you were 50 days ago? Well, a lot of you were right in here. It was Easter Sunday 50 days ago, and we were talking about Ezekiel and the dry bones coming to life and digesting this idea that we can't explain the resurrection, but the resurrection explains us. Now, do you remember what we talked about, how God brings resurrection? He breathes. Ruach was the word that we talked about on Easter. Everyone say ruach. Ruach. It's a great Hebrew word. It means breath, wind, and not ironically, spirit. Spirit. So, how's the last 50 days been for you? Let me take a little inventory here. How's it been? Have you experienced the ruach of God in your life? The transforming power that brings the hope and joy of being forgiven? Have you experienced the joy of the resurrection in your life? That you've been raised to walk in the newness of life? Have you loved others with the energy of compassion? Have you had victory over sin and seen transformation? I hope so. But... Let's also admit that sometimes with a question like that, there's also some going on in us. Oftentimes after Easter, we find ourselves going back to the same rhythms, same routines. We have the same struggles, the same patterns, the same pains, the same doubts, And the same lackluster attempt at trying to be the people and the person that Jesus calls and asks us to be. We've attempted, and here we stand, wondering if Christ truly can resurrect us. And to be even more honest, as we look around at others... We're disappointed and maybe even beyond that confused. We've heard multiple stories of pastors who've fallen for all kinds of various sins. We've even heard more appalling stories of church leaders and pastors misusing their power to commit various kinds of abuse. And we see and hear more and more stories of people walking away, not just from the church, not just away from Christianity, but even towards atheism, believing that there cannot be a God. So I wonder, where is this power that we talk about on Easter? Where are we seeing people truly moved from death to life? Well, my friends, today we're taking a break from the book of Mark very intentionally, to commemorate, observe, and celebrate Pentecost. Because the answer to our struggle, to our lackluster lives, to our need, to the problem of Christianity's testimony in this world is Pentecost. My proposition for you today is simple, and it's this, that the power we need is the power of Pentecost. So when we start wondering about what's wrong with the church and what the world needs, we can stop strategizing and know what the answer to the problem is. 
When it comes to the church, we don't need a better band, a better preacher, a cooler building, a better youth program, better community groups, longer sermons, shorter sermons. (laughs) We need to meet and walk with the person of the Holy Spirit. Because 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he said, I'm going away because it's better for you if I go so the helper can come. It's not because we're missing something. Rather, church, we are missing someone, the Holy Spirit. And the power we need now is the power of Pentecost. Well, what is Pentecost historically? Did you know that Israel actually celebrated Pentecost? So in the Old Testament, we find this practice of celebrating Pentecost. They didn't necessarily see it as the Holy Spirit coming into the world because he hadn't yet, but they had a feast called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits. And it was one of three very important festivals that the Old Covenant taught the Israelites, the Jews, to practice. It was a way of thanking God for the harvest that was coming in. The Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Fruits, it happened 50 days after Passover. That's where we get the word Pentecost. It's from the Greek and Latin word for 50, penta, 50. 50 days after Passover was when the Jews were celebrating the harvest. It's interesting also that the Jews... In their history, they recognized that it was also the period of time, 50 days, that God came down from Mount Sinai and met with Moses face to face and gave Moses the law, creating a new people, creating Israel, and constituted them as a people of God. Hear that again because it's critical to what Pentecost means for us, that what happened was when Moses met with God 50 days after they came out of uh, Egypt, And he gave them the law. Basically, what God was doing was creating a people, constituting this group as the people of God to declare and represent God to the world. That God was being intentional in what he was doing when he taught Israel the law and the festivals. And I would offer to you that God, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, was being incredibly intentional to say to his church, you are now my people, the constituted people of God, sent with the power of the Holy Spirit to represent and to declare a kingdom has broken into this world and is coming. So are you experiencing the power of the Spirit in your lives? Do you want to? The power we need now is the power of Pentecost. You see, when we celebrated Easter, we were encouraged that God breathes. He ruachs. And it was on Pentecost when God breathed and ruach happened. The Spirit of God came to reside in the people of God. So this morning, let's consider why God sent his Spirit how the Spirit works, and then how to be filled by the Spirit. Why we need the Spirit, how the Spirit works, and how to be filled with the Spirit. Why we need the Spirit. Have you ever run out of gas before? Anybody? A few of you? 
Have you ever had your phone die at an inopportune time? Yeah. And then you're trying to charge it, and it seems like it takes forever for it to just come on. You're like, why does the iPhone have to get to 5% before it will let you turn it on? Hypothetically, of course, we're speaking here. We understand the concept of a power source in order for things to work properly. So when it comes to our Christian lives, do we believe that without gas, without a full battery, without the Holy Spirit, living like Jesus would be impossible? Let me press on us a little bit. Would the rich assurance of your eternal destiny and security, so you know for sure that you're going to heaven, would it impart to you any capacity to live a different kind of life from the life that you lived before you knew you were going to heaven? Or this, would the unending forgiveness of your sins that, that are too measurable to count Knowing that you've been overwhelmingly forgiven of your sins, would that impart to you any capacity to live a different kind of life from the life that you lived before you were redeemed? Perhaps I'm being a little provocative on purpose here, because the reality of the fact is that is mostly how many of us try to do Christianity. I know I'm going to heaven, and I know I've been forgiven, so I'm going to see how good I can do it. And we feel like we're out of gas and have a dead battery and we're frustrated and disappointed and we walk into this lackluster experience of following Jesus. The reality is that I would, can be forgiven of all my sins and it has no spiritual capacity to help me be a different kind of person. The knowledge that you are going to heaven adds absolutely nothing to our spiritual capacity to be a different kind of person. It might create an ambition to be different, but that would be it. Think about it this way. If I wanted to be an amazing golfer, I could be promised the Hall of Fame I could be told that everything about my bad golf habits would not be held against me. I could spend time studying Jack Nicholas and everything he did and how he did it. But the fact of the matter is that knowing those things isn't going to change anything about how bad I am at golf. I'm just going to get frustrated, be disappointed, and still feel like a fraud. And I wonder if that describes some of us this morning when it comes to walking with Jesus. Friends, on this Pentecost Sunday, I want to ask you, are you experiencing the life-giving, transforming, Christ in you, hope of glory, power of the Holy Spirit? One of my favorite teachers once said, the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible. It cannot be lived. There is only one man ever in the history of the world that has lived the Christian life. And he, 
the week before he died, with the disciples, said to them, My friends, it is better to you and to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Church, the life that Christ lived qualified him for the death that he died. And the death that he died qualifies you and me to receive the life that he lived. Hear that again. The life that he lived, the perfect life, the sinless life that Jesus lived, qualified him to die the death that he died, the death that you and I should have died. He could be the perfect sacrifice because of his perfect life. And the hope that he wanted his disciples to hear as he was teaching them about the Holy Spirit is the death that he died qualified them and you and me to receive the life that he lived. He is the only one capable of living that life. And how does Jesus say that he's going to make it possible for you and I to live that life? The breath the Ruach of God, the Spirit. The Spirit comes and resides and indwells those who believe. The Spirit does not come to make us just live morally. The Spirit does not come to give us goosebumps in worship. The Spirit comes to be the power that is inside every believer in Jesus Christ to live the Christian life in and through them. The Spirit comes to breathe life into you and to me, to give us a freedom from our flesh and from the world, and to give us the power to glorify Jesus by living the life that he lived. And this is why we need the Spirit and why Jesus had to go away. Someone once said, the Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The Spirit comes to take residence in everyone who believes. The Spirit is not confined to just one physical place. It's why Jesus declared, it's better that I go away. Because I'm confined to one physical place, but if I go away, then the the power of me can come and reside in anyone who believes. Abraham Kuyper, an amazing writer and thinker in Christianity about 100 years ago, wrote a book about the Holy Spirit, and he described it like this. It's when you build a city and there's a water source that everyone can tap into. When you turn the water on, if you're connected to the source, everyone gets access to the same amount of water, the unending amount. And that's how it is with Jesus. If you're tapped into the source, then you have been given the Spirit. So do you believe this? curious if you would be honest with me, candid with me in this moment, and and reflect on when is the last time that you thought about the Spirit working in and through you, That, that you thought about yielding the power of your flesh to the power of the Spirit. Well, what is the work of the Spirit? It's interesting, the world is full of misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. I mean, to be fair, I'll just share some of my own that I grew up when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The first misconception I had of the Holy Spirit was neglect. 
I started following Jesus when I was 15 years old, and I had no idea what the Holy Spirit was, who he was, and what he was supposed to do. No one really ever told me. So when I started following Jesus, I didn't have anyone help me reflect on what does it mean to have Christ in me, the hope of glory. What about you? When you came to follow Jesus, did someone help you understand now that the Spirit had come to live in you and be the power to be Christ through you? The second misconception I had was sometime there later, I remember, and I'm being a little careful here, I'm not trying to be super critical of going to some power team thing. Do you guys remember the power team? And they would like break concrete blocks over their knees and be like, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And they'd be like, come spirit, give me strength. I don't know, you guys, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to, but that, but that, that brought this weird misconception to me about whether, you know, I want to judge their motivations here, but it did make me think like, oh, is that what it is? Like I wake up and I go, all right, spirit, I'm going to school today. You know, like I, third misconception I had was I went to college and there was an overemphasis on the extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit. Miracles, speaking in tongues, dramatic healings. I I do believe the works of the Spirit exist today in that way, the extraordinary manifestations. But what was lost for me in college was the primary purpose of the Spirit. We spent hours debating Tongues, miracles. And not one time, dare I say, did we ever think about how does the Spirit live powerfully through us to love each other? I remember leading worship one day and having those goosebumps and thinking, oh, this is what it is. The Spirit must be filling me right now. The, the Spirit's just this, like this emotion. And there are some truths that I don't want to minimize that, but it became the primary thing, like how can I recreate this feeling? Then I thought the Spirit was just there to beat me over the head when I messed up. I think this is how a lot of us feel like the Spirit works like when I feel that guilt and shame of sin, I'm like, oh, that's a spirit. He's on me right now. Uh. And there is a component to that, right? That the spirit does work in a way to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. I wonder what your misconceptions of the spirit are. I wonder how much you've been taught about the spirit. I wonder how much you invite the spirit to come rest on you. Well, let's look at what Jesus says here in this passage. He makes it pretty clear. Jesus says in verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. You know, it's interesting. I do believe that the Spirit, what his role in us is to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, that he wants to show us where in our lives where 
we're yielding to something besides what Christ is. And I, I think the reality of this is that what the Spirit wants to do in guiding us into all truth is he's saying, I want to guide you into the truth that your sin was so grave that it had been paid for. That righteousness could never be achieved, so Jesus achieved it for you. That your judgment would never be paid for, so your payment has been made. That, that one of the most primary roles of the Spirit is to, to speak into our hearts and our lives the truths of what Jesus has done and accomplished, that, that real change in us is going to come not just by knowing something, but when we're experiencing this freedom from our sin, from our guilt, from our pursuit of righteousness and finding it in Jesus alone. Jesus says the Spirit will guide you into all truth. He then uses the word declare three times in this passage. At the end of verse 13, he says, He will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will give us the power to see things beyond this world. The reality of a future promise that is to come. The reality that there is so much more to this life than what we see. And then in verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Declare what is Christ. He won't bring attention to himself, but he will declare to you and to me what is Christ's. He will say to you over and over You've been forgiven, you are loved, you are his child, you are a part of a new kingdom. That, that the truths of who we are and what has happened in our lives, he will work endlessly to speak and speak to our hearts. It made me think, it's, it's a metaphor here, if you'll just give me a little bit of grace on this. And in 2005, I ran a marathon, it was the last time I've run, and after the marathon, as I'm running the marathon, you know, when you get into those later miles, it's incredibly hard. And I remember there being people on the sides of the road that I had no idea who they were. And I had my name. I put it on a, somebody told me, duct tape on your chest and then write your name on there. And people would just be declaring to me. They'd be like, come on, Brian, you got this. You can finish, man. You're looking good. And I didn't. You're looking good. You're looking good. Imagine the power of God declaring to your heart in the morning, you are my child. You are fully loved. There is nothing that you could do or have done that would break my care and deep pleasure in who you are. Many of us know the power of a criticism that we heard over and over and over as a child growing up and the pains that it caused us even to this very day. Well, Jesus is saying, here's what the Spirit's going to do. He's going to come reside in you and he's going to be a new voice, a louder voice, a voice of hope, a voice of change, a voice of life that will say to you, you are redeemed, you are loved, you are declared righteous. You are holy. You are known. I want to listen to that voice.
So how do we become better listeners? Well, the command of Scripture is to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. The famous verse that Paul talks about in his Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18. When you become a Christian, when you repent and believe in the works of Christ, his life, death, resurrection, when we take that step to begin following after him, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit comes to indwell us. And what that means is that he is there. And when Jesus says, there's nothing that can snatch them out of my hands, there, there's this seal that has happened in our lives when we put our faith in Christ. That the Spirit, it, it's one of the, the most important aspects of following Jesus, that, that when we start following him, the Spirit is now within us, and there's nothing that can take him away. And so what Paul talks about and what the New Testament writers encourage us then to think about is this idea of how do we yield to that power of the Spirit? How do we let him be the one who is controlling and guiding and leading us? And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul has this amazing verse where he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And Paul here, what he's doing is he's using the metaphor of being drunk, which he's saying is wrong. He's saying this is a sin. And, and unfortunately, we oftentimes have seen church in different places use this verse to just talk about drinking. But that's not what this verse is about. This verse is about the Spirit who lives and resides in us. And, and what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to draw this incredible contrast between being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. They're similar but opposite. So they're similar in one way but opposite in the other. Like, for example, we could come up with many things. I would just share two with you. One way that they're similar but opposite is with control. This filling of the Spirit provides control versus where the filling of alcohol provides lack of control. So we know we're being filled with the Spirit because he leads us to the control of our tongue, to the control of our passions, to the controlling of our mind. Another thing that is similar and opposite is in reality. The filling of the Spirit provides us more clarity to what is real, more clarity to what is happening in this life, whereas the filling of alcohol leads us to escape to hiding from what is real. And, and so Paul, he's saying to us, he's saying, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to be the one who is controlling, the Spirit to be the one who is helping you see what is real. So oftentimes we come to this question, which I've been asking too for many years, what then does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the language here is very interesting because the way Paul uses the word be filled is he's using this word that doesn't mean you're in control, but it doesn't mean you're completely passive either. That there's kind of this tension that's going on here with what he's calling us to. He, he's saying, listen, you don't have control over the spirit and what he's going to do, but you're not called to just be passive either. I like, I like to think of it this way, that, that what Paul is really saying is, he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. It means put yourself in a position where you can be filled. 
I like to think of it like this way. It's like getting on a plane. In order to experience the power of the plane to get you from one place to another, you have to put yourself in a position for the plane to do the work. You have to go sit on the plane in order for the plane to do the work. So how do we allow ourselves to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I know scientifically we know how alcohol works, but alcohol, we don't really know how it exactly works when we're drinking it, right? When you're drinking it, it just changes what's happening to you. But you have to put it in, you have to take it in for the chemistry of our bodies to be changed where we lose control and where we lose the, we escape what is real. And so I think what Paul's inviting us to is he's saying, put yourself in a position where you can be filled. So what does it look like for us to take in something that would allow us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is maybe where I would offer one of the most simple ways that we can put ourselves in position to follow and experience the power of the Spirit in our lives. And it's simply this. Spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer. You know, we make fun sometimes of our, stu- our kids. You know, when you go teaching kids and you say, you know, what's the answer to this question? And they always go, Jesus, the Bible, prayer. You know, and it's like, yeah, that's the answer to everything. Because if I were to ask you, how much scripture did you take in this week? What would you say? If I were to ask you, how much time in prayer did you take in this week? Now, I'm not here to condemn or critique. All I'm offering is that 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave, he said, there is someone coming who will live the power of the life that you can live through you. And so Paul said, about 30 years after that, be filled with the Spirit. And the simple answer to that question is, what does that look like, Brian? How can I put myself in that position? Well, I don't know exactly how the Spirit works. I can't explain it all the time. But I know that when I'm in the position of taking in the Word of God and being in prayer with God, that those are the moments where I do experience the power of His peace and joy and love and grace and hope and freedom. In my life. Maybe I could just give us one practical application this week. Would you consider reading Romans chapter 8 every day this week? It talks about life in the Spirit there. Paul reflecting on the life of the Spirit in our lives. Maybe I I should say that just a little stronger. I want to challenge you to read Romans 8 every day this week. Whether that be listening to it on your car right before you go to bed, in the morning when you wake up, that every day you would look for the work of the Spirit in your life, that you would ask God to fill you with His Spirit, you would read that short chapter. When we invite the Spirit to come, when we invite Him to fill us, 
We're inviting him to give us the power we need because the power we need is the power of Pentecost. My friends, today we celebrate, we commemorate, and we observe Pentecost. It is as important. It is as important as the birth of Jesus into our world. The cross of Jesus for the salvation of the world. The resurrection of Jesus for the life of the world. And the power of Jesus for those who would follow. My friends, I even, I knew I was coming to this Sunday. I knew 50 days after Easter, we've been planning this. Jonathan and I have been working on this for weeks, and I still can forget. Today signifies, this remembrance of Pentecost signifies the greatest, most relevant gift God has given to me and to you on the same level of Jesus and resurrection and forgiveness of sins. He gave us himself because the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible and it cannot be done without his power. The Spirit is as important to the spiritual life of every Christian as oxygen is to the, spirit, the living life of every human. May we today, church, experience the Spirit and be filled. Let's pray. Almighty God, Hear our prayers this morning. We need to be guided into all truth. We need to hear the voice of the Spirit declaring to us of what is to come and what Jesus has done. So would you fill us and increase, please, the volume of his voice today that we might hear and be changed. So we pray all those things in the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus.